Well, it's good to be with you all this morning. Um, grateful, just sitting down in the front and just thinking about what a privilege it is to be called to, to preach the word. Um, uh, and one of my prayers is that I never, um, I never forget that it's a privilege um, and just a blessing to be able to do this. Um, so in two weeks, we're going to begin a new series we've been telling you guys about called God and Evil. And we're going to spend six weeks in the book of Job wrestling uh, with God's sovereignty over evil. And we're going to answer questions like, if God is truly all-powerful and He is really good, then why is there evil and suffering in the world? Where did evil come from? And how are Christians supposed to respond when facing evil and suffering? And at the end of that series, we're going to cap it off with a conference on September 15 and 16 called What About Evil? Um, we've got some flyers for it out on the, at the connections table in the front. I'd encourage you to take a few. Uh, we're going to be joined by pastor and author Scott Christensen, uh, who actually wrote a book by the same title, What About Evil?, where he tackles those very questions. And he's graciously agreed to join us. I actually didn't know him, but just reached out to him and discovered that he's a, a pastor at, uh, at Grace Bible Church in Kerrville, and he offered to come for free and to spend a weekend with us uh, walking through what the scriptures have to say about that topic. So that's going to be September 15 and 16. Um, we're going to be uh, the Hills Church. We're partnering with them, and they're going to be hosting it. Uh, so we're going to be gathering together with some of our other brothers and sisters in the city. I'm very excited about it. It's only $10 per adult. Uh, child care is free, so it's worth the price of admission right there. Parents, you get to just bring your kids and drop them off and hear God's Word taught. Uh, breakfast on Saturday morning will be included, so I, I really encourage you to sign up for that. Uh, please do register, though. Um, and you can do so online at PillarSanAntonio.com forward slash whataboutevil. So uh, I'm going to continue to remind us about that, but uh, I hope that you'll join us and be a part. But this morning... Uh, we're going to turn our attention to a doctrine that is underappreciated and misunderstood by most Christians today. We're going to be talking about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to be honest with yourself. You don't need to answer out loud, but just be honest with yourself. If you could trade the gift of the Holy Spirit to have Jesus Christ physically present with you, walking around with you everywhere that you went for the rest of your life, would you do it? If you could trade the gift of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit and instead Jesus himself would physically be right by your side and you could walk around with him everywhere, he could answer all your theological questions, he could do miracles, he could, you know, you could just, you'd be right there. If you could make that trade, would you do it? Now, I know that many of you probably know the Bible answer. The Bible answer is no, right? But if we're honest, I think we'd all have to admit it's tempting to say, it'd be really nice to have Jesus physically with me everywhere I go. That could clear up a lot of questions, right? That could clear up a lot of doubts. That'd be pretty convenient. And yet, when Jesus himself addressed this very subject in John 16 with his disciples, he told them that they would actually be better off 
once he left, because then he could send the helper, the Holy Spirit. And now the disciples were probably about as confused as some of you are right now. Well, how does that make sense? How could it possibly be better for Jesus to go away? If you're not a Christian and you're with us this morning, first of all, really glad that you're here. Welcome. And I recognize that 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 may sound surprising and even confusing to you. Who is the Holy Spirit? And how does He dwell inside of us anyways? And how could that possibly be better than having Jesus in the flesh right in front of us? We're going to answer those questions this morning from God's Word. And if you are a Christian, you may know the Bible says it's to our advantage to have the Holy Spirit, but perhaps you have a hard time believing it. One of the reasons I believe that Christians struggle with this concept is due to a poor understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and how He helps Christians. And as a result, we overlook and miss out on some of the wonderful blessings that accompany the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The reality is that God has given believers an incredible gift in the person of the Holy Spirit. Life is fraught with difficulty and with temptations and with trials, but God has not left us as orphans. He said, Jesus said, I will be with you always to the end of the age. He has given us a helper, a comforter to be with us, to dwell in us. So this morning, we're going to observe six ways in which the Holy Spirit helps us. The main point of the sermon this morning, if I could sum it up in one sentence, would be this. The Holy Spirit is the comforter who gives us everything we need for our life with God. The Holy Spirit is the comforter who gives us everything we need for our life with God. So we're going to begin this morning in John chapter 16. I'm going to read verses 4 to 15. And while I will be pulling from some other texts, that's going to be our anchor text and where we'll spend the majority of the time this morning. So let me read and then I'll briefly pray and ask for God's help and we'll jump in. Jesus is speaking here. I'm going to start halfway through verse 4. He says this, he says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine And declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said 
that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we love you so much. You are so good. Thank you for sending us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, I need your help in this moment. Apart from you, I can do absolutely nothing. I pray that you would empower me and my weakness to be able to preach your word. And I pray that you would empower us to be able to hear and understand your word. Because as we're going to see in a moment, you're the one who guides us into all truth. We can't even understand the word of God unless you open our eyes, Holy Spirit, unless you help us. We need your help this morning. Lord, would you please minister to your people, build up your church this morning. Help us to see and understand how you are worthy of our worship, Holy Spirit. Help us to understand all the many wonderful ways in which you help us and comfort us as believers. And Holy Spirit, I pray that for any in this room, all the way down from the teenagers and the kids, all the way up to the adults in this room, anybody that's not born again, that has never been converted, even if they've been going to church their entire lives. The Bible says, if you do not have the Spirit of Christ, you do not belong to Him. Oh God, today, may today be the day of salvation. Would they hear the gospel? And Holy Spirit, would you give them sight, convict them of their sin, convict them of their need for righteousness, convict them of the judgment to come, and open their eyes to the beauty of Jesus, and may they embrace Jesus and trust in Jesus and be saved. Lord, come and be with us now. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so um, I want to uh, just give a bit of brief background before we jump into the six ways that the Holy Spirit helps us uh, and talk about who is the Holy Spirit. So this, this discourse took place in the upper room on the night of Jesus's arrest. He had washed the disciples' feet in John 13, he had eaten the Passover with them, and he had told them plainly that he was about to leave, and he was going to go to the Father. And the disciples were distressed at this news. They were confused and sorrowful. But Jesus encouraged them by telling them that he would send the Helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with them. Now, who is the Helper? Well, like the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ... The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit's not a feeling. The Holy Spirit's not an it or a thing. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Bible is clear that there's only one God, but the Bible also testifies that God is three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is is God. This is called the doctrine of the Trinity, meaning that there's one God who exists in three persons. For example, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, the Great Commission, Jesus commands us to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So there's no distinction between the three persons of the Godhead when it comes to each person of the Trinity. And there's certainly some tension here. That might be confusing for some of you. It should actually be a bit confusing for all of us. That's because God is what we call transcendent. He's high and exalted far above us. We could never possibly wrap our minds around God. If we could, He would not be worthy of our worship. That's what makes Him God. 
is that He's high and holy and above us, and we can't fully understand Him. So don't allow the doctrine of the Trinity to be a stumbling block to you. Rather, allow the doctrine of the Trinity to bring you to your knees in worship of the triune God, the one true God who made you. Amen? By the way, I'm the kind of preacher that I like people to talk back to me because I need to know y'all are alive, okay? So you are welcome to say amen, to talk back to me. Like, that's totally fine. Amen. Amen. Thank you. (laughs) The point here is that since the Holy Spirit is God, He is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our worship. Just as the Father is worthy of our worship and the Son, Jesus Christ, is worthy of our worship. And that also means that it's impossible to love one person of the Trinity and not the other. Jesus says, if you love me, you love my Father, right? If, he says that if you receive the Spirit, you receive me. And the other important thing to note right now about the Holy Spirit is that He lives inside of every single believer. So if you are a born-again Christian, the Spirit dwells in you. In fact, it's the Spirit's presence in Christians that sets us apart. Apart from the Spirit, there would be nothing to set us apart from the rest of the world. Every believer receives the Holy Spirit when we repent and believe the gospel. As I mentioned just a moment ago, Romans 8 says that if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Christ. But we'll talk later about how you can know that you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. But one of the reasons Jesus told the disciples that it's better that he go away is that while Jesus walks, walked beside them, the Spirit dwelt in them, and he dwells in us. Quite literally, God dwells in the heart of every believer by his Spirit, and the Spirit's role is to help Christians know and worship God in truth. So how exactly does the Holy Spirit do that? Being honest, there are many, many things that the Spirit does for us. But we're going to just focus in on six ways that the Spirit helps us in particular, particular this morning. The first way that the Spirit helps us is that He convicts the world of sin. He convicts the world of sin. Look at verse 8 again. Jesus says that when the Holy Spirit comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now that word convict means to cause to see. It's to convince someone of the truth. It's to bring to light, to reveal. And the Holy Spirit reveals three things to the world. First, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. So He brings to light to the unbelieving world just how sinful they are. The Bible teaches us that people are dead in their sin and and ignorant of their desperate need of salvation. And all of us at one time were in that condition. While people certainly need to hear of God's great love for them, they first need to see how wicked their sin truly is or else they won't even see their need for salvation in the first place. The gospel doesn't make any sense if we don't understand our sin, and our tremendous need for good news. The great preacher and pastor in the 1800s in England, Charles Spurgeon, said that the Holy Spirit comes on purpose to convince men of sin, to make them feel that they are guilty 
greatly guilty. So guilty that they are lost and ruined and undone. He comes to remind them not only of God's loveliness, but of their own unloveliness, of their enmity and hatred to this God of love, and consequently of their terrible sin in thus ill-treating one so infinitely kind. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, and the Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning righteousness. Jesus is speaking here of the self-righteousness of the world. You know, most people tend to think much more highly of themselves than they ought. Most people believe that God will accept them because they do good works and they stay away from the big sins and they're relatively more righteous than their neighbors. And that's what we call depending on our own righteousness to make us right with God. And Isaiah chapter 64 says that all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags before God. Because God is not going to judge us based upon how we've measured up to our neighbor one day. God is going to judge us based upon the standard of His law, of His own holiness and righteousness. So that's the reason that Romans chapter 3 verse 10 says that no one is righteous. No, not one. Not a single person. Not me, not you. Nobody in the world can say, I am righteous enough I am good enough to stand before God and have Him accept me based upon the merit of my own works. All of us fall short of the glory of God. And it's the Holy Spirit who exposes the poverty of our own self-righteousness and shows us our need for the righteousness that only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit also convicts the world concerning judgment. Jesus says in verse 11, he will convict the world concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. The ruler of this world is, is a name for Satan. When Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, he crushed the head of the serpent, the evil one, Satan. The ruler of this world was judged. As a result, Jesus is the triumphant king and he is the righteous judge and the Holy Spirit convicts the unbelieving world that a judgment day is coming and that one day when Jesus returns, they will stand before Him as the righteous King and judge of all the earth. And all of this convicting work of the Holy Spirit is a gracious gift from God because the Spirit wakes us up to the dire condition that we are actually in. It may not be pleasant to be woken up from your sleep in the middle of the night and told that your house is on fire, but you would certainly be glad that someone woke you up, would you not? That's what the convicting work of the Holy Spirit is in the lives of the unbelieving world. He shows us our need for Jesus, and then He gives us the faith to believe that Jesus really can save us. Jesus truly is the Son of God who died on the cross to bear the wrath of God in our place for our sin. Jesus really did rise from the dead three days later, demonstrating that He's exactly who He says He is, the Son of God, the King of kings, the Messiah. Jesus really did ascend to the right hand of the Father in heaven. He's seated at His right hand and He will return again to make all things new. 
The Holy Spirit is the one who reveals these things, who convicts the unbelieving world that all of these things are so. And the Holy Spirit's the one who leads us to repentance and faith so that that wonderful good news can be applied to us and to our lives. You see, it's important to understand that the Holy Spirit does this convicting work through the church as Christians proclaim the gospel. As Christians share the gospel, the Holy Spirit causes the word of God to be effectual in the hearts of some who hear. See, the gospel, the good news that I just shared with you, is not good news for you if you do not repent and believe. It must be applied to your life. It must be applied to your heart. And the way that the Spirit does that is you hear the Word of God preached and the Holy Spirit opens the eyes of your heart to believe and leads you to repentance and faith. He causes you to cling to Jesus, to put all of your hope and all of your trust in Him. And then the Holy Spirit gives you a new heart. You're born again. John chapter 3 says, and you're made new from the inside out so that you don't have to try to obey God externally on the outside through your own effort. God actually changes you from within and he puts his law in you. It's all a free gift of God's grace. And it happens as the word is preached. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit may be doing just that right now in some of your hearts here in this room. If that's you, do not resist the Holy Spirit. After Peter preached at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, many who heard him were convicted by the Holy Spirit. It says that they were cut to the heart, and they asked, what should we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children. And for all who are far off, everyone to whom the Lord our God calls to himself. That promise is for you, brother or sister. That promise is for you, man or woman, here this morning. If you're wondering, did Jesus really die for me? Will Jesus really forgive my sin? Will he really give me everlasting life? You bet he will. You bet he will. All you have to do is call on the name of the Lord and be saved. If you'd like to learn more about how to do that, I'd love to talk with you after the service. Pastor Keith, Pastor Andrew would love to talk to you after the service. Come and talk to us, please. You know, we think it would be better to have Jesus here in the flesh, but it's funny that we easily forget that multitudes of people did have him in the flesh right next to them throughout his ministry, didn't they? They saw his miracles, they heard his teaching. And yet they refuse to believe. You guys remember John chapter 6 where Jesus talks about how he's the bread of life. And then he starts telling people, you need to eat my bread, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. What did all these crowds who had just seen him provide bread for 5,000 people the day before and seen his miracles, what did they do? When they saw these miracles in person, did they go, oh right, great sermon, Jesus? No, they abandoned him, didn't they? All but 12 left. And what did Jesus say in John 6, 63? He said, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The point is that at the end of the day, apart from the Spirit, Jesus himself could be standing before you and you still would not believe. You must be born again. 
It's the only way to enter into the kingdom of heaven. If you're a Christian, there's two important takeaways from this first point. And I promise the next five points are going to go a lot faster, but I felt like this one we needed to spend some time in. There's two important takeaways in this first one, though. Number one, the only reason that you are a Christian is because the Holy Spirit graciously opened your eyes. That ought to, every day, every morning that you open your eyes and get up out of bed, that ought to cause you to hit your knees and praise and thanksgiving to God. Why do you believe and your neighbor doesn't? The grace of God. Nothing in us, not because we were more intellectual, not because we were wiser, not because we were more deserving. The grace of God is the only answer. Secondly, because the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment, that means that conversion is a miracle wrought by the Spirit alone. And that means that we cannot manufacture it with emotional music. We can't manufacture it with clever preaching. I can't cause more people to enter into the kingdom of God by having really cool sermon series or doing gimmicky things on this stage. Only the Spirit of God can save through His Word being preached. That's why we value Scripture-driven preaching. I can't accomplish anything in my flesh. I can't save a single person. I'm just a man saved by the grace of God, just like any of you. Only the Spirit of God can bring about new life in the heart of a lost person, which ought to take the weight off our shoulders, guys. It's not up to you to save your neighbor or your family member that doesn't know Jesus. It's the Spirit that does that, and He works through weak witnesses all the time because then He gets all the glory for it. Amen? So if you're intimidated by the thought of sharing the gospel with somebody, that's actually a good company to be in. You should be. Because you can't save anybody. We're just called to sow the seed, and it's God who gives the growth. The second way that the Holy Spirit helps us is that He guides us into truth. Look at verses 12 to 14. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Why? Because of what Jesus is about to say next. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. So even with Jesus right by their side, the disciples... If you, you'll, you'll notice as you read through the Gospels, they often misunderstood or didn't grasp Jesus' teaching. It's like it went over their heads, right? Jesus even tells them right here, I, I have a lot more things I want to say to you, but you can't bear to hear them now. And the reason is because they didn't have the Spirit dwelling in them yet. In 1 Corinthians 2, 12-14, the Apostle Paul says this, he says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom. So I'm not up here teaching you human wisdom. It's not my intellect or your intellect that's going to enable you to understand God's Word. That's what Paul's saying. He said, so we don't impart this in words taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual with a capital S. To those who are spiritual, in, in other words, meaning filled with the Spirit. And then in verse 14, Paul says clearly that the natural person, or the person who doesn't have the Spirit, 
does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. They're foolish, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Capital S, spiritually discerned. Do you see what Scripture is teaching here? Only by the Holy Spirit can we understand the words of Scripture. So if you've been going to church all of your life, and you've sat and listened to biblical preaching, and you've heard the gospel over and over and over again, and you're just kind of like, I just don't get it. I see some people around me that just seem to love Jesus, and they're really passionate, and it doesn't make any sense to me. It's probably because you have not been born again. And that might be surprising for some of you to hear. You might say, what do you mean, pastor? I got baptized when I was five years old. I prayed the prayer. Brothers and sisters, friends, being baptized and praying a prayer does not save us. As we just talked about, we need to be born again. And I, I don't know the condition of your heart, and it may be that you're born again, and you're just early on in your walk with the Lord, but it's also possible that if you've been in church your entire life, and this just doesn't make sense to you, that you need to call upon God to save you and put His Spirit in you so that you can get what all the fuss is about, because it's really good news that ought to, that ought to produce a lot of joy and a lot of peace and a lot of thanksgiving in our hearts. And only the Holy Spirit can do that. So I want to encourage you, call out to him if that's you. This also means for us, church, that we need to regularly pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help us understand God's word, by the way. So early on in my walk with the Lord, um, I, I gave my life to Christ when I was 24 years old. And early on, I began to pray John 16, 13 over myself. I, I would pray, Holy Spirit, please guide me into truth no matter how much it costs me even if it cost me everything. I wanted to know and understand God's word. I didn't want my interpret to bear, put my interpretation of God's word on there and just go off of that. I wanted to really know, what does God's word say and shape my life around the word of God? And by God's grace, I believe the Lord has answered that prayer and, and protected me from being led astray and into error. And so I would highly encourage you to pray that same prayer over your own life. And I'd also encourage you to Pray and ask the Holy Spirit for help before you read the Bible. One of my favorite passages, uh, verses to pray before I read Scripture, uh, you've probably heard me quote this a lot, is Psalm 119.18. little short verse to memorize. Uh, so I'd encourage you to write it down. Psalm 119.18. The psalmist writes, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things in your word. What a beautiful prayer, right? I just pray that before you read the Bible. And it's just a good way for us to acknowledge that we need the Spirit's help to be able to understand the Word of God. So the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. Third, the Holy Spirit comforts us. In verse 7, Jesus told the disciples He would send the Helper. And that word for Helper is, is the paraclete in Greek. And it literally means someone who comes alongside to help. And sometimes you'll see that name for the Holy Spirit translated as comforter or advocate. It's the same word, comforter, advocate, helper. We need the Holy Spirit as comforter because life is filled with hardships, is it not? Can I get a witness? Amen. Yeah. Jesus told the disciples at the end of this chapter in verse 33, he said, In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus wanted the disciples to understand that although life will be fraught with suffering, with sickness, with grief, 
and difficulties, He would not leave them as orphans, and He won't leave us as orphans. He has given us His Spirit who is able to comfort us even through the greatest trials and temptations. The Holy Spirit comforts us by reminding us of God's presence with us and of God's promises to us. But sometimes we don't feel the comfort of the Holy Spirit, do we? That's because it's possible for us to resist His efforts to comfort us. He may be speaking comforting words, but we could refuse to believe and instead choose to wallow in self-pity. I've there. Sometimes I've done that, right? There have been times where the Holy Spirit has tried to, uh, per, you know, uh, for example, comfort me and remind me what's true through my wife. And for a couple hours, I've just stubbornly chosen to remain mad or sad about my situation. And I just don't want to hear it, right? At other times, the Holy Spirit seeks to comfort us by leading us into prayer or to getting away to a quiet place to spend time in God's Word so that He can comfort us through Scripture. But instead, we refuse by flipping on the TV or scrolling through the phone. The good news is that even when we don't feel the comfort of the Holy Spirit, He is always with us. He's always with us even when we don't feel Him there. And even when we don't know how to pray, Romans 8.26 says that the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words all the time. Whether you're asleep, whether you're awake, whether you're in the valley or you're up on the mountain, the Spirit is interceding for you. The Holy Spirit comforts us, and fourth, he, convict, he convinces us of God's love toward us. And this really follows up on the previous point. This is really another way that the Holy Spirit comforts us. You see, because our flesh is weak, we are easily prone to doubt God's love for us, especially when we're enduring trials or when we fall into sin. We're tempted to doubt God's love when we're suffering because we think that he's not being attentive to our pleas for help or rescue. And we're tempted to doubt God's love when we sin because we think surely this time we've outsinned his grace for the last time. But in those moments, the comforter comes alongside us to reassure us of God's love for us and of our position as his children. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16 says this, uh, if you're a believer... Paul says that you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So when we're tempted to fear that we are not truly children of God, when we fear that our sin has overcome us, the Spirit speaks to our hearts. The Holy Spirit gives us assurance that we are children of God. And, and here's the thing. The very fact that our hearts cry out, Abba, Father, to God, is evidence that the Spirit dwells in us. You would not long for God as Father if the Spirit did not dwell in you. There would not be an, a, a longing in your heart to please Him, to know Him, to leave sin behind so that you can be with Him, so that you can spend more time in His presence. That is only put in us by the Holy Spirit. And if the Spirit dwells in you, then you are a child of God and He is your Father. 
and nothing in heaven or on earth can change that or separate you from Him. That's how the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So brother and sister, do you have a longing to know Him more? Does your, is your heart crying out to Him, Father, I'm sorry for my sin. Father, I want to know you. That's the Spirit of God in you. Take comfort in knowing this morning that despite the accusations of the evil one that may be flying, you can hold up the shield of faith that is Romans 8, 15, and 16 and extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one. Fifth way that the Holy Spirit helps us, He conforms us into Christ-likeness. He conforms us into Christ-likeness. God saves us to conform us into the image of Jesus. And that's something we could never do by trying to obey the law in our own strength. And that's because in the flesh, apart from the Holy Spirit, we are enslaved to sin. Not only were we at one time unable to please God, we were unwilling to please God. Romans 8 says that the flesh is hostile to God and it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. But if you have the Spirit inside of you, the Holy Spirit gives you the desire and the ability to do the things that are pleasing to the Lord. That's why Paul can exhort us in Romans 8.13, by the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body. So we still have indwelling sin left in us. We still have some flesh left over. We're a work in progress, but you're no longer enslaved to sin. Paul says earlier in Romans 8, you're no longer a debtor to the flesh. You're no longer obligated to do whatever your cravings desire. At one time, you didn't even know any better. You were ignorant. You were just lost and dead in sin. But now, those chains have been broken. You don't have to walk back into that prison cell of that besetting sin anymore. No matter how strong that temptation is, the spirit in you is stronger. And you can say no to sin and to temptation. Now, sometimes, because our sanctification is a work in progress, we indulge in the desires of our flesh, even though... We're no longer slaves to sin. And we grieve the Holy Spirit when we disobey Jesus, when we decide not to listen to the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives. When we choose to gratify our flesh, we grieve the Spirit. Now that doesn't mean that we lose our salvation or that God stops loving us, but it is disruptive of our enjoyment of our relationship with God. If I were to sin against my wife in some way by saying something harsh to her or something like that, it might disrupt our fellowship together that evening. It doesn't mean that we're not married anymore. It doesn't mean that we don't still love each other, but our fellowship will be disrupted until I humble myself and I go to her and I apologize and I make it right and I seek reconciliation and we come back together again in fellowship. Perhaps that's what you need to do today. Perhaps you've been grieving the Holy Spirit by not listening to Him, but instead choosing to gratify the desires of your flesh. And as a result, not only is the fruit of the Spirit lacking in your life, but you're having a hard time even sensing and hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life because it's being crowded out by all these things from the world. The good news is that despite your grieving the Spirit, one of the gracious ways that the Spirit actually conforms us into Christ-likeness is that He continually convicts us of our sin, 
not to shame us or to make us feel guilty anymore, but to purify us. Your guilt is gone. Your sin was paid for at the cross. And God is, you're righteous and you're standing before God, and now God is making you and me actually righteous and holy before Him. So He's not going to let us make peace with our sin. A true born-again Christian cannot make peace with their sin and continue in it because the Holy Spirit will make you miserable if you try. Because He loves you. Because He's good and He's not going to let you, just like if you're a parent, you wouldn't let your kid go and just continually day after day like put their hand inside a fire in the fireplace, right? Because you don't want them to die. You don't want them to destroy themselves. You love them. So you're going to come up with ways to discipline them, to protect them, to keep them from doing that which destroys their lives. And the Spirit is going to keep you from doing that which would destroy your soul if you belong to Him. It's the gracious, convicting work of the Spirit of God. And He will ensure that every single believer is completely conformed into the image of Christ. He will finish that work in every single one of us. So praise the Lord for that. And the last point here, number six, that I want to make. Sixth way the Spirit helps us is that He confirms God's promises. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, Paul says that in Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So Paul says here that when you heard the gospel and you believed, at that moment you were born again and you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. In, in biblical times, a seal was used to make a document official and to make, or to make a decree irrevocable. And a, and a person in authority or a king had a unique seal and they would set that seal on that document. That is what God has done in our lives. If you're a Christian, He has set His seal upon you, and His seal is the Holy Spirit, which means that His call to save you is irrevocable. There is no way God will ever turn back on His promise to save you and forgive you from your sin, to give you eternal life, and to have you dwell with Him forever in the new heavens and the new earth. If the Spirit is in you, that is sealed. It's a done deal, and there is nothing in heaven or on earth that can ever change it or separate you from Him. Praise the Lord for that. Amen? What a good gift that God gives us this comfort. That's why we can rejoice in any and every circumstance, because there's nothing that can change that. Nothing. And this life is just a vapor compared to eternity. We're going to talk about this so much more in our series on God and evil. I, I'm, I'm so looking forward to talking together about how the Lord gives us comfort and hope through some of the most difficult suffering in our lives. And this is the one, of, one of the ways that He comforts us. And it, you know, this could easily be a 25-point sermon, guys, but mercifully for you, it's not. There are so many other ways that the Holy Spirit helps us and blesses us. I'd encourage you to go and search God's Word this week. Do a study on the Holy Spirit. Look up uh, in, your, in, the, uh, in the glossary or the concordance in the back of your Bible all the places where the Holy Spirit is mentioned and go to those passages and see some of the other ways that He helps you. The important thing to remember is that the Holy Spirit is not an emotional feeling. He's not a force. He is a person. He is God, and He is worthy of our worship and adoration and praise. And to that end, I want to encourage you to worship Him. 
Just as you at times direct prayer to the Father and to the Son, Jesus, it's appropriate to direct prayer to the Holy Spirit as well. Thank Him for His work in doing the six things that we've mentioned and ask Him to continue doing those things in your life. Before you you share the gospel with someone, pray, Holy Spirit, please convict so-and-so of their sin and open their eyes to the gospel. Before you read the Bible and pray, uh, before you read the Bible, pray, Holy Spirit, please guide me into the truth. When you're enduring a difficult time, pray, Holy Spirit, please comfort me and bring to mind a passage of Scripture to help me in this moment. When you're struggling with some particular sin, pray, Holy Spirit, please help me to put to death the deeds of the body with your help. You get the idea. Church, the Holy Spirit is the comforter who gives us everything we need for our life with God. My prayer is that your love and adoration for Him would only grow this morning and in the days ahead. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, David, Dakota, and we're just going to take uh, some time uh, to pray. And so what I want want you to do is I just want you to bow your heads, close your eyes, and just in your seats, just reflect on what you've heard this morning. And I want to encourage you to pray to the Holy Spirit this morning. Thank Him for some of the specific ways that He helps you and comforts you and ask Him for help. You know what the Lord's doing in your heart this morning. And so let's take a couple of moments to just pray quietly in our seats. And we thank you so much for your work in our lives, your comforting work, your convicting work, your guiding work, your convincing work of convincing us of the love of God, your conforming work of making us more like Jesus. We just thank you. We worship you. We love you. And Lord, I I pray that you would direct our hearts and worship towards you this week. I pray that you'd forgive us for ways where we've neglected to honor you and glorify you, Holy Spirit, in the way that you are worthy of. And I pray that you'd help us in the days ahead to honor you and to walk and to keep in step with you, as Paul says in Galatians chapter 5. Lord, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.